Good morning and happy Mother's Day again to you, all of you who are mothers. I, I particularly enjoy um, greeting on Mother's Day because I say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and uh, a third of them say happy Mother's Day to me back. So it's, I love it. No, happy Mother's Day to you if you're a mother. Um, man, what a, what a great opportunity we have as Christians to celebrate God's kindness to us and motherhood, what, the, what that means that um, for most of us, our very first relationship in this world that was nurturing was be, was with a mom, and uh, we have much to, to thank God for today, and so I hope that you will do your very best to help your mother and the mothers that are in your life feel honored today. Um, it, it's, it's just a great excuse in our culture to do that, to take a day and, and really uh, hone in on that. Um, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll explain why we're going there in just a moment. But before I do, and while you're turning there, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 will be our text. Um, and while you're turning there, I'll just uh, like kind of echo what Peter said about the um, evangelism seminar that we're going to have on Saturday morning, Mar- May 21st. 10 o'clock, uh, all the way till lunchtime, and we'll have lunch together. I want to invite you to be a part of that. I think it's going to be really good. And one of the reasons why I, I want to do that and why I want to emphasize that is because we want to emphasize evangelism this summer. And, and I think this is a tool that you can use in your house, in your living room, with your neighbors, um, in a way that I think could be very powerful and very helpful uh, just inviting somebody over and walking through the scriptures with them um, could be very, very good. And so please come, uh, again, mark your calendars, May 21st, um, I think at 10 a.m. we start. Um, be here for that. It'll be right here at Ridgeview Bible Church, probably in this, in this room. Okay, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, and our text again, verses 10 through 17. It says, you, however... Have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord has rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's go to the Lord again and ask for his help as he would open our minds to his word. Father, we pray, we come before you today, acknowledging that it is the work of the Spirit when when eyes are opened. And so, Lord, we pray for that work right now. We pray that you would work in our hearts, illumine our understanding, help us to believe what your word teaches, and to seek with all of our hearts to follow it and to apply it to our lives. And I I pray for your help this morning as I preach this. I pray that you would help me to, um, to simply point people to your word. 
and do so compellingly. And Lord, we thank you for mothers. I personally am so grateful for my grandmother who is home with you. I am thankful for the way that she taught me Christ as a young child. I'm thankful for my mom who loved me and has sacrificed such a great deal for me. And I'm thankful for the mother of my children. Lord, you're so good, so good to us. Your grace abounds and we see your grace in part in motherhood. I thank you for all the mothers in this room here now, especially the mothers who love you and follow you and seek to raise their children in the fear of the Lord. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So about midweek last week, Wednesday or Thursday, I decided I would take a little detour from the Sermon on the Mount series that we, so that we could think about kind of the transition we're in here. There's a lot of reasons for that. One, one of them, I'll just admit, was Mother's Day. I was thinking, you know, the, where the Sermon on the Mount goes next is retaliation, uh, which I think is really good and really helpful, but maybe not an awesome Mother's Day, you know, thing. So we'll, go, we'll come back to that, I promise. Um, but I thought it'd be good to stop and, and think about this. But also one of the bigger reasons, actually, bigger than Mother's Day, was that we are a very transitional church, uh, there's seasons, there's rhythms in our church, you know, and we're, we're, we're right at this time where we switch from one season to another season. The academic school year is over and we get into our summer. And uh, I thought, you know, as we make this transition, really this, this Sunday, last Sunday too, but this Sunday, I thought it might be good to consider what our focus should be in this next season as a church and as Christians, You might know that as a church leadership, our desire is to focus on three areas of the church. It has been for the whole year, but especially this summer. It might help you to remember the abbreviation FDE, kind of like for you hunters, flat dark earth, uh, the color FDE. Uh, We want to press into these three things, fellowship, discipleship, and evangelism, FDE. These are the three categories that before God we believe we should emphasize most. We've believed this for a while. This, this needs to be the emphasis of our church right now, we believe. So fellowship, not only in the sense of like more potlucks, although that can be part of it, <laughs> or more get-togethers, but more intentional communion among believers around the person and the work of Christ. That's what we mean by fellowship. More intentional communion among believers around the person and work of Christ. Fellowship. And evangelism as a way to reach out to our neighbors, to our community. This world needs Christ and our town is no exception. Our town, our community needs the light of Christ. And we genuinely want to be a city set on a hill, a light for those who are in darkness. We want to be quick and committed and equipped to spread the good news of the gospel here. So evangelism. And then that's, so that's the F and the E and between those is the big D, discipleship. And that is what this is about. This sermon is about, I think a lot of this text is about discipleship, life together saturated in the word of God. As we transition to our summer season, I want us to take a Sunday to ponder more deeply what it means to disciple others and to be discipled as Christians and to help us do that or to facilitate doing that, I, I, I thought it'd be good to turn to 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. I chose this passage because I think in this passage, Paul answers some of the biggest questions about discipleship. Like, 
what discipleship entails and why discipleship ought to be important to us. And who is the one doing discipleship? Who does discipleship? So what, why, and who? You may know that Paul discipled Timothy. In another place, Paul calls Timothy, my, my son in the Lord. And in this passage, you can see the good history between these two men. There is a thing we say, and we've often said here, as our attempt to try to convey Paul's vision of discipleship and kind of make his vision ours. And that is that the thing that we say is that Christians, every Christian should have a Paul and every Christian should have a Timothy. Everyone should have a Paul, everyone should have a Timothy. And what I mean by that, what we mean by that is that we all need people in our lives who help us to grow in Christ. We're not meant to grow. We're not, we're not meant to be kind of like all by ourselves, hermit Christians. We're meant, we grow in community. We grow with one another. We all need people to help us grow in Christ. We all need Pauls in our lives. People who are further down the road, who can speak into our life faith and gospel And I think we have to be intentional about finding those kind of people in our lives. I think we have to be intentional to find Pauls, to be Timothys and find Pauls. Christ-loving men and women from whom we can grow and learn. Every Christian needs to have a Paul or two and we should find some Timothys too as Christians. Discipleship isn't just about your personal spiritual growth. Discipleship is about helping others to grow in Christ so that Christ is more honored among others, more loved, more widely proclaimed, more glorified. Every bit people have poured out into you, you ought to be pouring out into others. We're not meant to be like the end of the road when it comes to discipleship. Every Christian should have a Paul and every Christian should have a Timothy. Oh, that we this summer would be like that. We would seek that. Be intentional, disciples of Jesus. We'd be Timothys, eagerly desiring to grow from others around us in the word of God. And that we would be Pauls, eager to pour into others as we shine Christ's grace and his light. That's discipleship in the context of the local church. My prayer is that we would press into that deeply as a church this summer in action. And just imagine for a moment what that would look like. What would that look like if everyone who calls Ridgeview their home church would do that? would find somebody to disciple. What impact would that have on Shadron? And eventually on the nations. So let's just spend a little bit of time this morning pressing into discipleship in this passage and perhaps the Lord would be kind to move in us this summer in that direction. As I said, this verse answers some, these verses answer some of the biggest questions when it comes to discipleship. You can see the what, the why, and the who of discipleship here. What is discipleship? Why do we need discipleship? And who does the discipling? And so that's maybe a good way to walk through this. The what's, the why's, and the who's. So let's begin with what. I see, I see 10 big what's of discipleship in verses 10 through 17. And basically 10 things that basically comprised Paul's work with Timothy. So let's just walk through those 10 big what's briefly. The first you can see there, verse 10, is this teaching, right? Look at verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching. The the King James translates that word doctrine. It's, It's the word teaching, doctrine. It's the same word. And that's, that's what it is. It's the substance of what Paul believed and what he taught to Timothy, what he taught to others. And that's what he leads with here. You've seen my teaching. 
You followed my teaching. Now, I know that you know that doctrine is a word that often falls out of fashion among Christians. Many associate doctrine with like church division, people arguing about different things. Or some associate it with the drier things of the Christian faith, like what's boring. Many see a great dichotomy between somebody's like life and ambition or a church's life and ambition and then what they teach. And they would put an emphasis on life and not doctrine. Some see doctrine as only something that's for the academy. You know what I mean? Like for the seminary, not for the assembly, for the church. So churches and Christians would do well to avoid doctrine and just, quote, do life together. Whatever reasons we have for kind of de-emphasizing doctrine, you, you can see Paul's obvious concern for doctrine everywhere in the New Testament. If Paul had de-emphasized doctrine, like if, if he believed that doctrine ought to like play a small part in the Christian's life, we wouldn't have half the New Testament. But he thought it was pretty important, Paul did. His writings are full of doctrine. The Bible is full of doctrine. Paul didn't see a dichotomy between one's manner of life and one's belief. And we'll, we'll dive into that in a second. There isn't a dichotomy. The way you believe absolutely shapes the way you live your life. Absolutely. And that makes it imperative to teach and to cherish sound doctrine. And Timothy had been around Paul long enough to know his teaching. And that leads us to the second one, right? The second big what. And the second, what is conduct? Verse 10 also there. You've seen my conduct. Again, there's no dichotomy for Paul. What he believed shaped how he lived. Timothy was around Paul enough to know for him that it was a real deal. It was not merely academic. Now, I know it can be. I know that for you, it can be merely academic. And I say academic, not in the sense of like you're in seminary, but it can just be like facts for you. I believe this. And you don't allow it to shape your life. Uh, I had a counseling session, a marriage counseling session not long ago uh, from people who, with people who aren't from around here. You don't know them. I gave them an assignment to do. And that assignment was basically to describe what a Christian, like a Christ-centered marriage looks like. And so they went home and they, 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 they worked on that. What, what does a, a Christ-centered... And, and by the way, the guy was a PhD student, a PhD student in theology. All but dissertation. He's just about to become a PhD in theology. But his, uh, yeah, so I asked him to do this. And when he came back to do this, when they came back, they gave one of the best descriptions of a Christian marriage I've ever heard. Like academically bulletproof, like beautiful in the way that it was put. And I told him, I said, you know, I've done this assignment with a lot of couples. That's the best I've ever heard. You guys really understand marriage. And I said it on purpose, just like that. And he began to weep. He began to sob and he was broken up because it was clear to him that academically he knew what was right, but his marriage was a shipwreck. It hadn't gone there, right? It had when he he wasn't really believing it. Knowing hadn't made its way to doing, and that means that you don't really believe it. Because knowing absolutely shapes what you do. That's what we see in Paul. His walk matched his talk. Paul had seen, Timothy had seen Paul's conduct and matched it up with his doctrine. He knew that Paul was the real deal. This wasn't like the way he talked in front of other people. This was, this was the real Paul. 
He really believed this. Discipleship isn't merely teaching others what you think. It's showing them how to live based on what you think. And the third big what in verse 10 is, the, is aim in life. This is Paul's goals and his ambitions. Timothy knew that Paul was not after some selfish platform or fame or money or a good book deal. He wasn't climbing like selfish ladders or clamoring for his own glory. He wasn't trying to look religious. Paul's aim in life was to glorify God through Christ. One of the aims of discipleship is to pass on that aim in life. That compass setting. Aim in life is like a compass setting. This is where I'm going. I'm following after Jesus. That's my aim in life. And Timothy had seen that. The the fourth big what of discipleship is faith. Paul's confidence was in Christ alone. His confidence was in Christ alone. Paul's trust in Jesus was absolutely on display within his relationship with Timothy. I want you to... Press into that with me for a second. Paul or Timothy could see Paul's faith in Christ in their relationship. So it wasn't like Paul's private faith, his private conviction, his private thoughts about Jesus. No, it shaped the man. It shaped the man. He had faith in Christ alone. And you could see that. You can see that he wasn't trusting good works. He wasn't trusting like the checking off the boxes thing. It wasn't a Sunday morning thing only for him. It was a real deal. He loved Christ and he knew that righteousness only comes through faith in Christ. There's no righteousness outside of the cross. He knew that. He knew that he could not be made right before God on his own. Paul did. So he trusted another. In Philippians, he says, a righteousness that comes not from the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He was trusting, Paul was trusting in Christ. He knew that there was no hope for righteousness outside of what Christ would give him through faith, through his work on the cross. Do you you know that, friend? There is no righteousness outside of Christ. None. You're not good. Not even you moms, I'm sorry. I love you very much, but we're all sinners before a holy God. All of us stand in need of God's mercy and grace. And the only way, the only way to be made right with the holy God is through the work of Christ on the cross. I hope you're believing that today. I hope that is your faith today. But Timothy could see that faith in Paul. In verse 10, he says, you have, Timothy, you have seen and followed my faith. Friends, if your faith is real and obvious, especially those who are close to you will see it. People will see it. If your faith is real, people will see it. It will not remain like a private conviction. There are no like secret agents when it comes to Christianity. If, 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 if the gospel is real in your life and you really get it, it's, it's kind of like COVID-19. If you really get it, Those around you are going to catch it too. Too soon? Maybe. (laughs) But you get it. The fifth what of discipleship is Paul's patience. Living out the Christian life often means opposition. It means hostility. Sometimes it means facing stubbornness. Sometimes it means working with people who grow very slowly 
setbacks, all of that. Paul faced those things and he faced them with patience. He knew that God had been patient with him and the fruit of God's spirit in him. You know, the fruit of the spirit is patience. And Paul had demonstrated patience through the work of God in him. And Timothy had seen that. Maybe Paul was patient with Timothy. The sixth what is love. And again, this is a fruit of God's spirit in Paul. So Timothy could see it as he was walking in the spirit. He could see and follow Paul's love. Paul knew that without love, no piety, no knowledge, no gift, no sacrifice, no devotion, none of it means anything without love. It has to be love or your Christian doing means nothing. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us. You should go read that hymn. Timothy had seen Paul's love in action. So it's not just doctrine, it's not just conduct, it's not just aim of life, it's not just belief, but it's all of those things in love. The seventh what of discipleship is steadfastness. If there's one thing that Timothy did not see Paul do, it's give up. He never saw Paul give up. Although I bet it was pretty tempting to give up at times for Paul. Like I bet the, the way forward seems significantly hard that giving up seemed like a really nice option. Timothy saw in Paul steadfastness. Paul modeled that before him. There is something very powerful in seeing another brother or sister in Christ suffer and not give up. And discipleship often means suffering in front of others and not giving up. It often means steadfastness. And that leads us to the next one, the eighth big what of discipleship, which you can see clearly in verse 11, and that is suffering and persecution. I'm lumping those together. Timothy had seen Paul go through deep seasons of suffering. Paul didn't pause his discipling work because things were hard, right? Because people were opposing him so that he could privately suffer a while. He just suffered. Timothy saw it. Much of the suffering came by persecution. Much of that persecution, this can be shocking to you, maybe, I don't know. Much of that persecution came from people who said that they followed Jesus. Much of the persecution that Timothy endured came from people who said that they were Christians. People in the church. And I can see that from the letter in Philippians especially. Philippians 1.15 says, Some indeed preach Christ of envy and rivalry, supposing to add affliction to my bonds within the church. He faced opposition. Some of Paul's suffering is what we often call church hurt. Certainly it came from the outside too. Lots of people, especially among the Jews, hated Paul, but often it came from in the church. And Timothy saw that persecution. He saw Paul being persecuted. He saw Paul's steadfastness. He saw his patience. He saw his love. All that was part of that discipleship work. The ninth big what of discipleship is not something that Timothy saw in Paul, but something that Timothy could see about God in Paul, which is really true about all of these, but this ninth big what of discipleship is something that Timothy could see in God, about God, in the life of Paul. Look at the end of verse 11. Yet from all from them all, the Lord rescued me. 
The ninth big what that comprised Paul's discipleship work with Timothy is God's faithfulness to Paul. Paul wasn't shy about it. God rescued me. God has been faithful to me, Timothy, and I want you to know that for your own soul, for your own suffering. God has rescued me. The tenth big what of discipleship is actually one of the main focuses of this passage. And normally it would be the main focus of my sermon, but today I'm just going to nod to it, point to it, so that we'll see it. It would take at least a full sermon to give it its weight, but today just a nod. You can see it uh, in verses 16 and 17, okay? So the end of verse 15, and then verses 16 and 17. So the end of verse 15 says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then the famous two verses that come next. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scriptures, the Bible, is the tenth big what of discipleship. Paul and others had taught Timothy the Bible. They didn't just merely fish together or work together or go for coffee together, or do missions work together, or do all of the other really good things that we could do together and we probably ought to do together in the course of discipleship. Paul and others also carefully taught Timothy the Bible, God's word, the scriptures. And they did so because this word is what is breathed out by God. It is this word that's profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. This is what makes the man of God equipped. This is the huge what of discipleship. So you put all that together and you can see the nature of this intentional relationship between these two men. Timothy had been around Paul long enough and close enough to see his patience and his love and his endurance and his teaching and his aim of life and his conduct. And he could see Paul's suffering and his persecution. And he could see God's faithfulness to Paul in that suffering. This is not merely a weekly Bible study, as good as those can be, right? This was life together. But it was life together, absolutely saturated in the word of God. You want a definition for discipleship? The one I formed from here is life together saturated in the word of God. That's discipleship. Life together saturated in the word of God. Discipleship is life together, but not just life together. Life together saturated in the word. And that's what I'm praying that we as a church will press into this summer. Life together saturated in the word of God. Okay, so that's the what, all right? Now let's talk about the why. You know why this is such a big deal? Why, why this is a big deal to the elders of this church? Why this is a big deal to Paul? You can tell why by the few clear hints in this passage and then the context especially. The big why, why this is important to Paul. 
Look again at verses 12 and 13. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That points us to two big whys of discipleship, two massive whys. Why discipleship for me and for you is urgent. First, me living for Christ for real will invite hostility. It will invite persecution. There will be people who hate me. There will be people who treat me badly. And the intensity and the level of that treatment varies from place to place, but it is a principle that holds true. You will be persecuted for loving Jesus Christ and following him and seeking to live godly in him. And again, that varies from place to place. We live in a relatively mild place right now. There are places in this earth that aren't so mild, lots of them. And most of history is not so mild. We shouldn't look at our mild zone and think that's normal. It's a little bubble that might pop one day, and it's a bubble surrounded by a history of hostility against Christians. But this is true about every believer. Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In other words, Timothy was in for it. He was in for it. He was going to be persecuted. Timothy would suffer. And so discipleship was urgent so that Timothy would have the same kind of patience and steadfastness and unwavering faith in the faithfulness of God that Paul had modeled in front of him. The Christian life, friends, is hard. And that is why discipleship is urgent. It is hard. That's true today. Second, evil people, it says, and imposters will go from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And the context of this passage, what comes right before this, these verses, make it clear that there was a very real danger of false teaching right among them. And Paul didn't think it would get better He wasn't very optimistic about the direction of this thing. It's going to get worse. This is Paul saying, you need to take discipleship seriously, Timothy, because there's a lot of deception out there. There's a lot of people who are ready to sweep you away from your faith in Jesus Christ. And that is so true today, my friend. It is true in Shadron and it is true everywhere else. And it's a huge reason why discipleship is urgent today. There are plenty of false teachers, evil people, imposters, to use the language he's using. And they're still going on from being bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But listen, they are compelling. If I say that and you're thinking, I'm going to notice them because their eyes are going to glow red, they're going to have a pitchfork. You would not be swayed by that, right? There'd be no danger. No, they're compelling, They don't come with a pitchfork. They come with an I love Jesus shirt sometimes. A savvy turning of the phrase. Winsomeness. It might come in the form of a so-called Christian on a campus or from a professor or from a pastor. There is a real danger and therefore we have an urgent need for discipleship. See, the, the, the answer, Paul's answer for the danger of false teaching to Timothy, it, like his, his answer to that danger of false, tim, uh, of false teaching 
of these teachers who are going from bad to being worse is life together saturated in the word of God. The best way we can safeguard ourselves against false teaching, sweeping us away from our confidence in Christ, life together saturated in the word of God. That's why, those two reasons. So we've briskly walked through the what of discipleship, the 10 big what's that comprise Paul's ministry. In front of and together with Timothy, we've seen the the two big whys of discipleship, the straight up opposition and persecution, that Christianity is hard. And then at at, uh, the danger of people sweeping you away from the gospel, Teachers, how prevalent and pervasive those dangers can be, making holding on to the truth difficult. That's the big whys. Now for the who of discipleship. Who is the one doing discipleship here? Now, obviously, right away, right? Paul, the apostle, right? He's doing the discipleship here. And there's a takeaway from that. We could apply this. Anyone who has some level of maturity in the word of God and in the Christian life ought to be engaged in discipleship. You could take that home. You need to be like Paul. You need to look for Timothys that you can pour into this summer. But don't miss the other two giant who's that are here. Sounds kind of like Dr. Seuss, right? Who's, but anyway. Look with me again at verse 15. Paul said, "How, how from childhood... How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and and, and just assume that Paul wasn't the one who acquainted Timothy with the sacred writings when he was a child. He's probably not the one who acquainted Timothy with the sacred writings as a child. I'm actually not going out on a limb here because we could just turn back a few pages to 2 Timothy 1.5 where Paul spelled out who was the one who acquainted Paul with the sacred writings that were able to make us wise to salvation. Look with me, 2 Timothy 1.5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Timothy's grandmother was one of the who's. Timothy's mother was one of the who's. His father's not mentioned, by the way. Note that, men. His father's not mentioned. Now, I I know why, uh, or at least I think I know why his father's not mentioned. I don't think his father was a believer. And I I think that because of Acts 16.1. Acts 16.1 says, a disciple was there. This is Luke talking about Introducing Timothy to the scene. A disciple was there named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And the way that's framed makes me think he's not a believer. But that did not stop his mother and his grandmother from teaching young Timothy the gospel and discipling him in the Lord. It did not stop them. Doing life together with that young man, saturated in the word of God, that was the purview of grandma and the purview of mom. They weren't going to let an unbelieving son-in-law, the grandmother wasn't going to let an unbelieving son-in-law or an unbelieving, the wife wasn't going to let an unbelieving husband stop them from doing this. I just want you to be encouraged, moms especially you moms who feel like you're in this alone. Maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you're a mom whose husband is not a believer. 
Maybe you're a grandmother who's doing this by yourself and sometimes it feels like you're pushing a, a truck uphill. I want to encourage you, it's not in vain. It wasn't in vain for Timothy. It wasn't in vain for Timothy. Because as a child, he was acquainted with the sacred writings that are able to make us wise for salvation. Be encouraged, moms. And I just, you know, here's a challenge too. You know, like, mothers, I want you to see your awesome responsibility of being the who, one of the who's in the discipleship process of your children. Not the only one. Believing dads have a massive responsibility here. I'll get to that in a few weeks. The church has a huge responsibility in that. I believe that with all my heart. Other people in the church, but today's Mother's Day, and I, I don't just want to dote on how lovely mothers are. I don't just want to say really obvious things like, you know, none of us would be here without mothers <laughs> or dads or whatever. I also want to encourage you mothers to set your hearts on raising your children in the fear of the Lord. Mothers and grandmothers, be encouraged this morning and emboldened to live life with your children and grandchildren, saturated in the word of God. I am so thankful for my grandmother. She went home to be with the Lord a year ago. She taught me She was one of the first people to teach me the gospel ever in my life. My parents weren't living it at the time, but she was. She also taught me what a switch was. If you don't know what that is, Google that in the South. She taught me the gospel. She was the one who said, look, if you're wildly successful in life and don't love Jesus, it's worth nothing. No one else was telling me that. Grandmothers, you are privileged with this amazing influence over your children. And grandmothers, you have this influence. Leverage it. So the three big who's of discipleship in Timothy's life, Paul, mature Christians, and mom and grandma. Friends, may we take to heart this patch this summer in this church, in this community, and even in our families. Let's be intentional about doing life together as believers with other believers and do so saturated in the word of God. Here's my specific challenge for you, okay? Here's what I'm, I'm hoping that you will go home and do today. I am hoping that you will go home today and pray before God that he would put it on your mind and heart to do this with people this summer. Specifically, not just like in a general way, but ask God to show you, Lord, whom can I pour into this summer? Who can I help grow in Christ? And the other side of that coin, Lord, how can I grow in Christ? Who can be my Pauls this summer? Lead me to that, Lord. I want to grow in you. And I know I don't do this alone. I know I need other people to show me what it means to hold on to the faith and be steadfast and to be patient and to live in love. Help me, Lord. That's my challenge. I want to encourage each of you to seek out a person this summer and intentionally disciple them in the Lord. That could come in the form of a one-on-one relationship. It could be in small groups. Small groups of men, small groups of women, discipling one another. It can take all kinds of forms. I don't think the form is what's crucial. 
I just I challenge you to seek to press into this this summer as believers. And mothers and grandmothers, what a privileged position of influence you have. And I encourage you again to leverage it for the glory of God and the good of your children and the good of your grandchildren. You have no idea how God can use that in their lives. And happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a, what a good gift of kindness you have shown us in Christ and what hope we have in the gospel. Lord, I pray as believers, we will press into spreading that to others this summer through discipleship, through evangelism. Thank you for the example of Timothy. Thank you for the example of Paul. Lord, for your glory, I pray that we would take this home and make this a part of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.